A FAM production. Furniture and mattress. FAM.news. We've got all kinds of great stuff happening today, but most importantly, we got Michael Foss on the show, Senior Vice President of Carpenter. This guy has been in the industry for 39 years, which is actually one year less than Mark Kinsley. Stay tuned. We'll be back in 60 seconds. Driven entrepreneurs, listen up. It's time to team up with Nationwide Marketing Group, North America's most successful network of independent retailers. You'll gain access to programs and services that level the playing field between you and the national chains. Industry-leading digital marketing, increased buying power, exclusive networking events, and of course, their awesome learning platform. Nationwide Marketing Group is the business partner that helps you get results and stay ahead of the competition. Take the first step today and visit nationwidegroup.org. Do you want more sales in three easy clicks? Yeah. It starts right now at doorcounts.com. With a completely redesigned user interface, gathering data has never been easier. Click number one, your salespeople connect with the customer as they walk through the door. Click two is the outcome. Click three, key performance metrics right there on your phone from anywhere at any time. Now your salespeople can spend their time selling and DoorCounts is going to gather the data you need to make your business better. Start right now at DoorCounts.com. Welcome to the Dose Marco Show with Mark Kinsley and Mark Quinn. We're mattress and furniture leaders gathered to grow, get the inside scoop, tell stories, and take tequila shots. Welcome aboard. Here's your passport to a planet filled with the mattress industry's brightest minds and biggest ideas. Meet your guides. I'm Mark Kinsley, President and CEO of Englander. And I'm Mark Quinn, co-founder of Spink & Co. and VP of Sherwood Betting. Together, they are Dos Marcos. The galaxy's greatest mattress podcast has liftoff in three, two, one. The people get what the people want. And the people want Michael Foss on the show because we are talking about Carpenter. We're going to be talking about foam supply and the changing nature of the industry that we are in, which seems to change almost every day. Michael, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to, to, uh, to be next to both you gentlemen. Well, Michael, you can't see it. If you're watching on screen, you can't see it, but just off camera behind you, there's a surfboard. So you're in Virginia. Is there a lot of surfing that happens there? <laughs> Needless to say, there's not a lot. It's poquito, not a lot of surfing. And when people brag about surfing in Virginia, uh, you know, I, I, I grin and I smile, but at the end of the day, there's not a lot of surfing in Virginia. <laughs> What's the story about the surfboard then? Well, it's, it's a reminder that I'm from California. Uh, one of my divisions are EPS, which is an acronym for Expanded Polystyrene Division. They actually uh, made that for me for one of my birthdays. I don't want to say which birthday. And they put that in my office. And again, it's just a great reminder with all the color and the design that I still like going back home and imagining surfing again. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And now you're in Virginia and now you're on the Dismarco show and we're so glad you are. Michael, there's there's so much going on inside of our industry that, you know, when when you and I have we've known each other for 
decades, actually. And whenever we see each other at uh, industry events, it's always great to catch up. And one of the most recent, I think we were in Vegas, we were just kind of talking about everything that's happening. And we, we just really wanted to get you on the show because there's a lot of people who, you know, there's these constant price increases. There's been raw material shortages. And I think our audience would love to hear from a source, like what's happening with the category. And let's start first, if you don't mind, with just the shortage issue. And we'll get the, the, the crummy stuff out of the way because I think um, we have other things to get to. But like what's happening with that, Michael? Is there a shortage still? Do we anticipate more of a shortage coming in 2022? Have we kind of come through this storm? Can you give us your assessment of where the industry is? Sure, Mark. Happy to do so. Again, thanks for having me. Delighted. And I'm big fans of uh, of your show. Uh, let me go back just a little bit, if I may. It really all began when, when COVID hit us uh, in Q1, Q2 of last year. That's when the business trending started to go the other way. Supply issues started to begin. Uh, business took a huge dive. Uh, the big suppliers of raw materials, they started to, to cut back on their outputs. And uh, as a result, uh, when business started to go up the other way, starting in Q3 of last year, in Q4, um, the suppliers just didn't have the capacity or the manpower. And then coupled with that, we experienced some unusual storms. Uh, we had that deep freeze uh, that you both remember in Texas, historical deep freeze. That caused a significant problem. Uh, there was also operational issues, mechanical issues at the raw material facilities, including ours. We have a, a large polyol plant uh, in Bayport, Texas, and several of the reactors and pipes froze, and it caused lots of issues from the supply standpoint. So we get through that. Business has a huge uptick, as all three of us know, uh, as we end last year. And then going into the beginning stages of this year, you still had issues not only on the, the domestic side, which also had some challenges from a macro perspective, too. Um, and, th and then, coupled with raw materials, we're all experiencing these labor issues, which has become uh, very significant, especially in the last 9, 12 months or something like that. But today, when I look at the raw material side of things, things are, are better to today than they have been in well over a year. And it's, it's because that uh, it's a number of things. A lot of companies are not taking their full allocations because they don't have the labor to do it. Uh, whether it's in the furniture, especially on the furniture side, not so much on the bedding side, but especially on the furniture side. A lot of companies are so dependent on lots of labor, highly intensive labor, they just can't get the manpower. Therefore, they're not taking all their allocations. So raw materials have improved. A lot of the, the repairs... Um, regaining some velocity with some of these manufacturers, including us, um, as we've come out of the uh, mechanical stages, the mechanical problems that we all experienced, uh, the outputs and the flow of raw materials is much better. And, uh, you know, we're coming out of hurricane season and knock on, on wood here, um, so far we're in pretty good shape. And, and our inventory levels have improved a little bit too. 
Michael, you say the outputs are good. How are the inputs? MDI, TDI, uh, those are the chemicals. Any little brief education right. there would be great. And how, how is that supply great going? question, Mark. As you may know, there's only two major suppliers domestically of, of TDI, toluene deisocyrate. And uh, both those companies that could you could you spell yeah, that for right. us, Michael? You know, I think your spelling's probably you... <laughs> about the same as mine, Mark. So I'm <laughs> I'm going to probably avoid spelling it for you. But toluene deisocyrate, it's a long word. And if you're any kind of a chemistry guy, you'll know it immediately. Um, but that um, that was that was that was definitely one of the, the the initial problems. And when and when you only have two suppliers, and when they both declare force majeure. Um, and then the allocations start to drop. That's when the whole thing started to kind of blow up a little bit on us, coupled with all the things that I talked about. But TDI today in the U.S. is much better. Uh, there was some TDI that was uh, outsourced internationally. And I think some of that is not as big a deal as it was a few months ago. I think that the supply chain on the domestic side has more than enough capacity to keep up with the outputs today. So TDI, good. MDI, Mark, you mentioned MDI. MDI. MDI remains a lot tighter than TDI, and here's the reason why. MDI is used for a lot more than just polyurethane foam. Uh, TDI is, is, is really driven more towards the PU or the polyurethane foam side of things. Uh, MDI is a different scenario. You've got a lot of building products that are made with MDI, a lot of installation products that are made with MDI. Um, a lot more of your automotive is made with MDI type additives. So there's a huge shortage of MDI and we use MDI. We use a lot of our MDI for our higher density foams as well as carpet cushion. So MDI is still a problem. The other piece, Mark, is polyol. Remember polyol, TDI, and MDI, those three ingredients uh, make up 98% of uh, the recipe or the formula to make polyurethane foam. Uh, polyol is in pretty good shape. There's a, a chemical that's used to make polyol and it's called propylene oxide, PO. And PO, although it remains a little on the tight side, uh, it's flowing relatively well. So our biggest problem right now is MDI and labor. Those are the two major challenges that we are faced with currently in the industry, at least in, in my world. Michael, one of the things that we've talked about as this has continued to unfold and this story is being written is what's happening behind the scenes with companies trying to innovate around some of these shortages. Have you seen uh, sparks of innovation either within Carpenter or beyond your walls that you've noticed as a result of shortages with chemicals or other supplies? It's a good question, Mark. Yeah, we have. And, and I think on one of your episodes recently that I enjoyed, you talked about innovation, innovation, a way to uh, mitigate price increases a little bit. And uh, there's a lot of truth to that. And uh, on the supply chain, we've had a lot of our clients working in collaboration with us to come up with innovative ideas, whether it's being a little bit more on the creative side, Mark, whether it's using other types of components. Uh, whether it's you, Mark had mentioned MDI, maybe flip-flopping MDI for TDI compounds where you can do that. So yeah, there's been a lots of different types of uh, product innovation, um, uh, supply innovation, and various things to try to help 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 with solutions there.
I know one of the things kind of in the future here, not too far off, we're all going to be probably meeting up at ISPA Expo uh, 2020. So that is, uh, of course, for anybody that doesn't know, the International Sleep Products Association Expo suppliers from all around the United States and sometimes all across the planet show up to look at the innovations. Uh, do, do you have plans for, for new products that people are going to be able to see there? Is that something we can we can get a preview on or is that close to the best and further down the road? No, it's uh, I'm glad you uh, you opened that door. Um, yeah, you're right. March will be here before you know it uh, in, in Orlando. I believe that's where it is. And uh, yeah, we'll be showcasing uh, new products that we are in the current uh, clinical study phases or testing phases, if you will. Uh, and we plan to really have a good advertising marketing campaign as we as we launch some of these new products with, with more open airflow and, and more cooling type impacts, uh, cool to the touch and uh, things that we've worked with in collaboration with some of our large clients that both of you would be familiar with. Uh, it's always good to get good input from our customers. They're the ones that can bring it and work with us. We work with them, and we kind of do it side by side. So we've got some really exciting products that that we will definitely showcase in Orlando. And then prior to that, uh, of course, you got Vegas in, in January. We do have a showroom in, in, in Las Vegas uh, in the C building on the 15th floor. And... Uh, not so much in January. Uh, I think our biggest launch is going to be at that ISPA show in March. But as we go into the latter part of next year, we plan to do a lot more in Las Vegas as well. Michael, talk about being in Las Vegas. Englanders also in the C building on the 15th yeah. floor. Yeah. Talk about that. That's kind of a shift in the industry that, that we've noticed is people who have historically been bucketed as supply side now getting closer to retailer, closer to consumer, wanting to provide some more visibility into your company and the products you sell and how they benefit people. Uh, talk about that move to have more of a presence in Vegas and what that's going to look like and why that's meaningful. Yeah, no, it's a great question, Mark, and appreciate you bringing that up. We, we really thought long and hard about that decision. Uh, we, we had talked about it roughly 10, 11, 12 years ago. And we decided the timing wasn't good uh, to do it back in 2010. Mark Quinn, you may remember that a little bit. And uh, we decided to kind of pump the brakes on it and then reevaluated again. And then <clears throat> we decided back, I believe it was in 20, I want to say 2017, maybe 2018, when we decided to get a space there uh, in Building C uh, around the corner, not far from the Englander space, a smaller space. And... Um, before we did that, I actually uh, did a little homework. I did a little due diligence. I wanted to speak to some of our key clients. I, I wanted to get their input before we did it. I, I did not want that to be a surprise to them because our link, our relationships are with our large uh, manufacturer customers, whether it's a, a Temper Sealy or a smaller tier two supplier, whatever. And I wanted to kind of share with them what we were doing, what our strategy was. And I felt, I felt like that was super important and that went very well. And after I got good positive feedback on that and why we were doing it, that's when we decided to go ahead and, and uh, launch and open up Vegas. And the main reason we did that is because it gave us an opportunity 
to really showcase our phones directly to our manufacturers and have that concentrated audience there and we can take them through with finished product and and they could see what it's like not just with a hand sample touchy-feely but they could actually lay on the mattress with this new product we brought in different types of um, testing equipment so they could see with their eyes what we're saying they could validate it with the test data and they could be right there we also have a couple uh little uh I want to say meeting areas in our space. So it gave us a good opportunity as well to have private meetings there at Vegas. We've learned that it's not easy because it's so far away from a lot of the hotel properties that getting a space. And if you want to have a confidential or private meeting, it's not always easy to do that. And so it also allowed us to have this really focused time with our clients and be focused on sharing new products, get their input, their insight, um, on are we going the right direction? Do we need to tweak it? Do we, what, what changes do we need to make? So that was really the key reason for doing it, Mark. And then fast forwarding, um, we decided to expand the, the showroom. It, it, we will be moving into the old symbol space. Um, you remember the symbol space there on the 15th floor? It's a larger space. I think it's in a more visible area. It's a little bit closer to the, uh, the escalators and the elevators. And this will allow us to even show more of our products, which we're super excited about. But we will not take possession of that until the summer of next year. But the good news is it gives us a lot of time to really prepare and get that showroom looking really sparkly in the way we want it to look. Michael, one, that's great. One of the things that you're talking to two guys that were at Leggett. And so we know what it's like to be deep on the supply side and trying to tell the story of your product and get that to cascade down to retailers and then to fall out of the mouth of our essays and be meaningful for the consumer. We were way upstream, so we understand those challenges and those opportunities and some of what it takes to get your message you know, across the goal line. What are some of the products that Carpenter has launched? And you can go back a little ways here because we've been in unprecedented times. But what are some of the products that, that you've launched that you feel like have maintained that downstream story and been meaningful to consumers. And conversely, Michael, what are some of the products you want the story told better that you could highlight here? Yeah, again, another good question. Um, I think one. Of, I think one of the more recent products, and, and you know, Carpenter Company has always been labeled a manufacturing company. <clears throat> We've never really emphasized a lot of marketing. We've never really emphasized a lot of uh, advertising or really, you know, wrapping the product in a really nice package and putting that really nice colorful bow on it. We've not done a, that's, that's not who we are. That's not who we have been over the last several years. We've always invested a lot of our resources into uh, equipment and reinvesting back into the company and being the low cost producer and being the efficient supplier and that's all been great. I wouldn't change anything about it. It's made us who we are, and it's given us this great infrastructure to supply the industry, not just from a domestic standpoint, but from a global standpoint. So that's a good thing. But we, but what we felt like we were really missing was that marketing piece and that advertising and, and really beginning to build the, the name and get that name out there a, a lot more. And I felt like we're, we're beginning to do more and more of that. And I think one of the more recent products that we've launched that we've had a lot of success with 
both on the OEM, through our manufacturing, through our BIB programs with our clients in relationship with our clients, has been our Serene product. Uh, Serene has been a product that we launched roughly about two and a half, three years ago. It was the first family of Serene. And since then, we've kind of launched it and we've, we've kind of we've added these new families. We've, we've continued to improve it and expand on the family of that product. And it has really opened the door for us at, at a variety of clients across, whether it's the luxury brand, which a lot of it's going into the luxury brand, but it also that middle, that middle case category. Don't see it so much on the promotional side, but we definitely see a lot of it in the mid to upper, and we see quite a bit of it on the luxury side. So I, I really want to hang my hat to Serene. And Serene, again, will be, and the new generation of Serene will be launched uh, in Orlando in March. Uh, and you'll hear more about that as we get closer to that time frame. What are some of the properties of Serene that make it different and make it beneficial to the consumer? How do, how do retailers talk about it? Yeah, you know, gosh, I tell you, you two both know this as well as anybody, trying to get the retailers to talk about it. And I've been on recently a lot of large retailer calls, joint calls, uh, where I'm on calls with the retailer coupled with our manufacturing partners that have asked me to be on these calls with the retail clients to educate them on the foam allocations, the supply issues, and that way they know where it is firsthand and all the price increases. But also they ask me questions about certain products. Serene is one of those products they'll ask me about and try to educate a retailer is not easy. And uh, I will say what makes it unique is that not only do you have a vast uh, uh, delta of densities, but it, it, it's primarily a, a higher density foam. It's got a very silky, rubbery type feel to it, but it's wide open. It meets all the various bedding criteria. It does not, we've all the tests that we've done, uh, very little of any compression set. So your loss of IFD, your loss of density, is minimal and yet it retains its shape but it gives you that cool factor you can put it in a quilt you can put it in a layer various cores i mean it's the most diverse it's probably the best polyurethane foam product that we've launched in the last two decades uh, and that's saying a lot because we've been known in the industry as uh, not only a big provider in the bedding side but a big provider in the furniture industry on the luxury brand furniture industry side and seat cushions this serene is also now being used not only on in bedding but it's, it's used in high-end seat cushions uh, whether it's a, an american leather uh, a mitchell gold a basset it's just expanding exponentially and we're super excited about it so let's talk about michael you were talking about higher end. It made me start thinking about prices. Um, how do you, what is your outlook for 2022 in terms of pricing stability? So uh, it seems like um, we've gone out as a betting manufacturer. Um, I don't know, uh, multiple times this year, I think retailers are so frustrated and getting so tired of it, but you know, it's coming at us from wood, steel, foam. I mean, all sorts of places, latex, so what is, your, what is your opinion of how 2022 is going to ship up? Are we going to see more stability? What can, uh, what can manufacturers and retailers and consumers expect in this inflationary period? Right, right. And it is, it is an inflationary period. Anything like we've ever seen, um, at least in our generation. And 
I, you know, the way I see it today, and I get a lot of different types of publications uh, on the raw material side, financial side, I think that inflation in our industry is going to stay in place at least through Q1 or Q2 of next year. I think it'll level off a little bit, maybe, in Q3 of next year. Um, but I don't see a lot of change, at least between now and the next nine months, maybe in the next 12 months. From a raw material cost standpoint, I think it's going to remain uh, volatile. I don't think we'll see anything what we've experienced the last 12 months. In the last 12 months, polyurethane foam as a result of lots of raw material increases on the TDI side, the propylene oxide, which is that PO side, and the polyol side that we all talked about, prices of foam have gone up north of 70%, 75% in the last 12 months. I would, but, but, I would so, expect that prices are going to level off a little bit uh, as far as raw materials on the foam side. I don't see it as nearly as volatile that we've seen in the past six months or 12 months. But I, I think that that edgy uh, supply chain is still going to be in play for, for at least a bit. So we talked about MDI and TDI being inputs. We talked about labor having an impact on price structure. So as you look forward, Michael, what would uh, what would be a cause of increased volatility or more consistent volatility, if that's even the right way to say that? No, consistent volatility. Is yeah. that right? I don't even know if that makes yeah. sense. Uh, do you do you feel like it's going to be a problem for us? And if so, what would the culprit yeah. of that? Price right. It, it could be a number of things. Um, I, I, I think that uh, if you're going to see any kind of change in, uh, in, in structure, cost structure, it's going to be a result of an unpredictable storm that causes uh, some of these facilities in the U.S. To, to go down like they did once before. It could be another huge COVID outbreak like we experienced last year, which causes more issues with manpower. It could be a contamination issue. It could be an outage where these suppliers, these chemical companies, they do a turnaround. They shut their facilities down. And it's not like turning on a, a switch or a light bulb where you just turn it on and these reactors start right back up again. It could be a problematic issue. It could be electrical issue. It could be a platform leak. It could be just about anything. There's all these variables that could create a slowdown, which could uh, be a, a touch point that could impact the cost structure. And remember, because we, 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 we live in such a, a macro planet these days, a macro supply chain, um, it could also be a result of something that happens in, in Europe. You've got these large suppliers of, that, that produce TDI, and one of the biggest suppliers in the world is in Germany. And two years ago, they had uh, a major outage, and then they had a contamination issue. That, that affected us here in the U.S. because a lot of times companies may export, export chemical uh, to other countries, and that can drive up supply issues here in the U.S. So it's such a balancing act. The, 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 the dynamics uh, are really, really tricky, and they can really be complex at times. If people can you talk to us about the impact of containers overseas mm -hmm. so you talk about china is that playing uh, a role for you is it becoming a problem and what impact is it going to have on the US yeah it, it it has been a, it has been a problem uh, fortunately we have as i mentioned earlier we 
make our own polyol. And we, we buy PO, propylene oxide. We have a really strong strategic relationship with, uh, with a partner. And uh, we're, we're in good shape as far as domestic flow of polyol. That's 60, 65% of the formula. Um, that other piece, TDI, that other piece, MDI, um, if you can't get it here in the U.S. because of what we talked about earlier, you may be forced to outsource it and buy it outside the country. We try to avoid doing that for a number of reasons. But if you do that, you're at risk of, A, it taking forever to get, which we've experienced, or B, the cost of doing so because of these increases, huge increases in containers. Uh, it's just priced so high that it's tough to be competitive. So we've tried to avoid doing that. But it, it, it's had somewhat of an impact. The, the big impact has really been on polyester fiber. Uh, you know, we buy our polyester fiber, which is used in bedding uh, as a quilt layer and in various other types of uh, layers in, in a mattress. All that raw material stable is, is outsourced from outside the U.S. And so you've seen rising costs in, in polyester fiber. It's primarily a result of that. You know, Michael, it reminds me of an article I read uh, when you say how things are so incredibly interconnected. Uh, the article was about during the 2008 housing crisis and how housing effectively came to a screeching halt. And so the, the effect of that, of which there were many, one of the effects of that was less milk. And when you have less milk, you have high, higher price milk. Well, why would there be less milk whenever fewer houses are being built? Well, cows that are comfortable produce more milk. And farmers use sawdust to keep cows comfortable. Whenever houses are being built, you have more sawdust. So there was a sawdust shortage. You had uncomfortable cows that were then producing less milk and milk prices went up. <laughs> you know, I've heard that. I think I've read that before in, in the Wall Street Journal. And uh, it's, 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 it's amazing. We've had in the past where we've had clients uh, want to buy carpet pad for their cows so they can sleep on this carpet pad. And I think it's for this obvious reason that you're, that you're alluding to. <laughs> I can't imagine well, the number of markets that Carpenter is in that we could have a blast oh. finding more out about. And we've had a blast hanging out with you today, Michael. Michael Foss, Senior Vice President with Carpenter. Thank you so much for taking time to really take us into some detail here. This was very rich and very helpful for us. And if there's ever you know, a message that Carpenter has to get out that you would like us to share, please do give us a call and we can uh, help you out with that. It's really nice to have you. Um, taking us in behind the scenes, behind the curtain, and uh, helping us understand this a little bit better. It's been it's been my pleasure. I've really enjoyed being with both of you. And again, I'm a big fan and uh, appreciate all that you do in our industry. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Michael. And uh, if anyone's going to be in Orlando for ISPA, go see Michael and share this uh, episode if you can. Go where you listen to the podcast, Spotify iTunes podcast, wherever you get it and rate us. If you don't mind, leave a review. That would be awesome. And uh, leave five stars for Michael Foss with Carpenter. Thanks, Michael. My pleasure. Thank you.